Well, people, always an adventure, isn't it? I won't lie to you guys. I've been conditioned by these games in Seattle to think this. I have a feeling a lot of you have been as well. But the way Eugenio Suarez followed through on his swing, combined with the sound of the bat, I genuinely thought he had crushed a three-run bomb. But you know what? He did not. Jordan Romano earns his 27th save. And like many of you, I need a drink and a cold shower because... After a 4-3 win, I am absolutely exhausted. And I've been sitting in a chair for the last six hours. But, hey, welcome to Jay's Talk across the Sportsnet radio network, streaming live on sportsnet.ca and on the Sportsnet app. Show Ali here with you. Taking your calls and texts. Phone lines are open, 416-870-0590, 888 star 590 on your cellular device. 590-590 is where you can text us. That's the people's text line, and it is always open. And I mean, look, a win is a win is a win, but I see a lot of texts here about a, a variety of things. Like, for example, a lot of texts about uh, this one's from James in Vancouver, a win, and he says this as well, win is a win. Uh, lots of stuff to be frustrated by today, but there's no excuse for Varsha not stealing in the eighth. Unacceptable. I, I did admit that was a little strange, at least trying to steal. You know, I'm, I'm not sure anyone would have been all that mad if our show had tried to steal and was thrown out. I think the one of the things that really confuses me or, or perhaps baffles me about this team sometimes is that it's very odd to watch in that it feels like they are either the most aggressive team you will ever see, right, with sends or leading off a base or whatever, or they're the most conservative team ever, like not sending Merrifield yesterday. Maybe that's a bad example because that, maybe that's a more debatable uh, situation, even if I do think they could have sent him and he would have been successful, but not sending Varsha today. It's just odd, and I admit sometimes frustrating, but I will say they got to win, and uh, that's what matters. Ultimately, even if we can discuss some uh, other items, positive and negative from today's ball game, and I want to start with Alec Manoa because, boy, were all of our eyes on Alec Manoa after the last start. I guess after the last two starts, right? After his last... After his return to the majors, I should say, two starts, one against the Tigers, looked decent, I would say. Decent to very good, perhaps, but there was some, uh, there's some gray area in there, certainly, because he did leave some pitches over the plate, and, you know, I think he was still making some in-game adjustments, was still working through some things against the Tigers, did not look very efficient, certainly against the Padres. And then today, I guess the start for Manoa, that is right in the middle, perhaps, right? Five and a third, Three hits, three runs, all of which were earned. Six strikeouts, four walks, and a home run. It was the home run which was hit by Mike Ford. 91 pitches. And, of course, he departed with only two runs having been scored. But Mesa allows an inherited runner to score. So that goes on Manoa's score sheet. Mike Ford, he obliterated that meatball for Manoa in the second inning. Like a middle, middle, 94-mile-an-hour fastball. You could not put that baseball in the middle of the plate better even if you had walked up and just gently set it into place but to his credit he bounced back in that inning with some more fastballs that were moving around the plate he looked pretty good I think with the slider in the third inning as well he looked he looked very good against the first two batters of the fourth two very very quick outs two walks after that did prolong his outing in that inning and but still he does not allow another run in the fourth perhaps uh, aided by a curious bunt decision that was was not a very good bunt, and they get out of it. Uh, some loud outs all going to Kevin Kiermaier in the fifth. And I do kind of wonder if those loud outs once again contributed to Manoa getting the hook after Ty France gets aboard because they didn't leave him in there very long after Teo struck out in the sixth, right? Raleigh, a four-pitch walk. Ty France, a single, 91 pitches. He gets pulled. 
we've discussed this before, but I don't think this is necessarily the time to be playing around with the whole, you know, quote unquote, let guys pitch longer. Like as much as I would have liked it to save the bullpen going into a very tough matchup against the Dodgers in the next three days, eh, it's a perfectly whatever, perhaps, outing for Manoa. Not not terrible, I would say, but certainly not that great either with four walks. But again, perhaps considering what we've seen before for most of the season, I would still say it probably does land in the positive category when it comes to the uh, the balance of Manoa's outings. And we talked about Tim Mays a little bit. He has been elite this year. I don't think that's a, a hot take or anything, but he has been absolutely elite this season. He comes in after Manoa with a two out, a two on, pardon me, one out situation. Uh, he retires the first pinch hitter. Dylan Moore comes in as a pinch hitter as well. So you see Scott Service emptying the bench to play with the whole, the idea that Mazo is going to see a pocket of lefties. Of course, he ends up seeing two righties, but a sinker, like on that Dylan Moore game tying single, a sinker right on the edge of the zone at 95 miles an hour. And I, I got to say, I, I just give Dylan Moore credit there because it was right in the same place Mesa had thrown the previous pitch and he just shovels it right into the gap to score a run. So, I, I, you know, I think Mesa, generally speaking, looked good today, if not uh, as dominant as he usually does. But ultimately, he did a great job at limiting the damage and uh, he did give up the the single to tie the game in that particular situation. But again, that's I perhaps sometimes hitters just get pitchers and he was, he being Dylan Moore did have a, a good outing today for, uh, for what you expect for someone who does not play every day. Right. So uh, ultimately I'm not going to hold it too much against Tim Meza because on the balance of the entire season, Tim Meza has been, like I said, elite. And I don't think that's a particularly uh, hot take. Let's go to the text line, 590-590, name and location. Uh, let's see. I see here a text from, you know what? This one's from Peter in Etobicoke and Peter just says, I officially can't watch this team anymore. Even when they win, it's not entertaining. Um, as a paying customer and a fan, I feel like a bleep supporting this team. I can't read it. Unfortunately, Peter, we get, we get in trouble here. Uh, but I do kind of, I kind of get what you're mean in the sense that today was, I, I'm glad they won four, three, a win to salvage what would have otherwise been a series sweep which would have been incredibly disappointing, especially considering the uh, the new house of horrors that is T-Mobile Park. But you know what? The Blue Jays did win this game. I do agree in the sense that the entertainment factor for them sometimes is a little bit down. I can, I can kind of get behind that idea, even though nothing makes me happier to see them win because I think it's just more fun to do Jays talk when the team wins. But, you know, you look at the last couple teams, last couple years of this team, I personally believe this year's version is unequivocally better than last year's version in pretty much every facet. Having said that, they are not nearly as entertaining. I don't know if that necessarily has anything to do with the home run jacket not being there. Does it have anything to do with some of the more fun players not being on the team, for example, like a Teoscar Hernandez or like a Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? Maybe maybe a Ross Stripling <laughs> to a certain extent, although, to be fair, Ross Stripling has had a pretty poor season with San Francisco, but... I don't know. Maybe maybe the the fun factor does seem to be uh, lacking a little bit. Although I will say again, uh, the fun factor does uh, perhaps go up. The fun quotient does go up when they when they win, and which was a four three win uh, today. Why don't we go to the phones? Four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety one triple eight triple six zero five ninety star five ninety on your cellular device. We'll go back to the text line in a sec. Five ninety five ninety name and location. People's text lines still always open, but on the phones, Justin in Barry. Justin, what's on your mind? 
Hey, show, how you doing? Good, man. You know what? Always better when they win. I think the tenor of these yeah. post-game shows can be a little more fun. Yes, I would agree with you on that one. Um, I just want to do a quick trade deadline talk. I was wondering about, you know, if the Jays could acquire uh, Justin Steeles from Chicago, lefty. He was, a, he was an all-star this year. I just want to know your thoughts on that. And, you know, if they, if they could get him, what do you think he'd slot in on this order? Hey, thanks for the call, Justin. Uh, Justin Steele, you're a namesake for you, perhaps? I don't know. But uh, Justin Steele is definitely a very, very good pitcher. I he's He's young enough that I feel like it would cost too much for the Blue Jays to go get him. I, um, I, I, I like the idea. He's a lefty as well, which is always good. But I don't know. I think he's 28 years old, which, again, is, I think, in that in that range where it would probably cost the same cost that it, it, it required to get Barrios, for example. I don't, I don't dislike the idea. I would love to see the Justin Steele in a Blue Jays uniform. He would probably slot in somewhere after Gosman and Barrios right now, at the very least. Like, he'd probably compete with Bassett for that third spot, certainly ahead of Kikuchi and, you know, unfortunately ahead of Alec Manoa based on what we have seen here in 2023. Having said that, he, you know, is still on a very team-friendly contract, so it would, it would require a lot to give him to, for the Cubs to give him up. That's, I, that's probably why when I look at the pitchers, they are more likely to give up the Cubs. That's why I think a lot of people look at Marcus Stroman, who has straight up said he is not, he's, he feels he's not going to get some kind of contract extension from them, right? So, it's for that reason I feel like Justin Steele is not very likely. The Cubs probably want to hold on to him for a couple more years. Maybe if we're having this conversation next year, perhaps, uh, or the year after, perhaps Justin Steele at age 30 might be a guy you can go out and get. But I, to answer your question, Justin, I, I feel like it is unlikely. As much as, I, again, as I would like to see it happen, I feel like it is um, unlikely. Uh, 59590, name and location, that is the people's Text line, uh, another trade question. I see this one. There's no name on this one, so just leave your name and location so I can give you a shout-out. But it just says, do you think the Angels would trade? Likely not to the Jays. Shohei Otani and attach Anthony Rendon to the trade. Unload the contract. Get lesser of a return. Re-prospects, but still a big haul. That's an interesting question because Anthony Rendon, I don't know if you guys saw this news. It was something like when he got hit by the ball on his shin, uh, there apparently is some kind of like bleed in his bone. So it's going to be take, take a bit, little bit longer for him to come back off the shelf. So that's been an unfortunate contract. The Los Angeles Angels signed Rendon to because he was a very high and high demand after the Nationals won the World Series with Rendon and Zimmerman and the rest of those guys. But boy, he has not lived up to that contract. So getting trying to get Otani uh, and, and that contract off the books by, by, I guess, dangling Otani to some other team might work. But uh, I honestly just, I genuinely think Shohei just does not get traded. I, I honestly think that. I might, I don't know if anyone wants to be remembered as the GM who traded away perhaps the best player to ever live, essentially, right? So I it may, maybe it happens, but I, I perhaps unlikely. Um, and also, if you missed this, by the way, um, Shohei Otani, his start was in tentatively scheduled. His next start was tentatively scheduled for this coming Thursday, it has been pushed back. So the Angels are going to take on the Blue Jays starting on Friday at the Rogers Center. And uh, Shohei Otani is, uh, in theory right now, scheduled to be the starting pitcher for that ball game. Uh, if you're looking for tickets, let me tell you, it's uh, slim pickings right now. I think like down to single seats at the Rogers Center. And uh, for good reason, because uh, he is appointment viewing. Uh, let's go back to the phones. 416-870-0590-1888-666-0590. Star 590 on your cellular device. 590-590 is still the text line, name and location. Uh, Brian joining us from Hamilton here on Stock. Brian, what's on your mind? Hey, show. I got an idea for you. Sure. Uh, for a fun, fun factor. 
Uh, and more importantly, to win more games. Sure. As you well, as you well know, we leave a lot of runners on base. Our, our hitting with runners in scoring position is near the bottom of the majors. We have a lot of team speed. Oh, well, no more. No, we won't, we won't find out from Brian. Field. Oh, here you are. There. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. You're still there. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I'm just thinking. We, with all the runners in scoring position that are hitting with runners in scoring position being awful, and the number of runners we've left on base, with all the team speed that we have in Kiermaier, and Merrifield, why aren't we running more? In, in yesterday's game, uh, I think it was the first or second inning, we had runners of, or base runners first and second, none out, and they're standing around waiting for somebody to get a hit. Like, let's start running. You're not old enough to remember Ricky Henderson, but I'm sure you've heard about him. Like, he would just spook opposing pitchers because they'd be so focused on him, we'd naturally get another hit. Hey, Brian, appreciate the call. Thank you for joining me here on Jay's Talk. Yeah, look, I... I, I kind of started off by talking about this a teensy bit, but it does. I, I don't disagree that, for example, and, and I think a large part of what you're alluding to is for certainly the Varso Varsho situation after he gets aboard in on a, on what was a complete gift essentially, right? He gets aboard because the the pitcher makes a very weird throw. Campbell takes the guy off for first base. Ty France and Varsho, who had actually powered down had to speed back up and gets the first base. So he gets the first base. Great. You have runners on the corners with one out. Kirk comes up, gets into a double play. And, uh, and that's all, all she wrote for that particular inning. The Jays still managed to hold on for a win, but I, you know, I don't disagree in that you could see the blue Jays be a little more aggressive at times. And it probably doesn't help that in the very next inning, the bottom of the ninth inning, you see Colton Wong who gets walked Colton Wong, or was it Colton Wong? I guess it was the guy right before him. But the the runner who uh, gets hit by the pitch, the eighth runner, the eighth batter, pardon me, uh, steals second and takes them out of the double play situation. Then Colton Wong walks anyways. But uh, I don't know. I think it it doesn't help to magnify it by by seeing them do it and the Blue Jays not do it. But I would like to see them be a little bit more aggressive. Having said that, we have also seen them have some snafus with the base running. So again, I, I get them being conservative and shutting it down a little bit, a little bit later on in this game. But um, to your point, Brian, you know, maybe you wouldn't, especially for guys like who have the speed, like a Merrifield yesterday, late, like a far show today, late. Those are the guys you let do it. I'm not sure we want to all, any of us want to necessarily see, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. try and steal a base in a late, close and late situation. But for the Varshows of the world, the Merrifields of the world, yeah, have at it. Let those guys go. Um, let's go. Let's hear some sound, actually. Arden Zwelling did speak to Brandon Belt after the game. Of course, he was the walk-off chat in Seattle as the Blue Jays managed to avoid getting swept. Let's hear what Belt, who went yard for the second time in as many days, had to say with Sportsnet's Arden Zwelling. Well, Brandon Belt goes deep for the second time in this series. I want to ask you about the homer, but first I got to ask you about Jordan Romano because you've been around some really good closers in your day, but he battled out of a really tough situation there. What do you like about the way he goes about his business? He competes. Um, you know, even when he was uh, let two people on base right there, I, I think we all had the uh, utmost confidence in him that he was going to get the job done. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. Uh, we, we truly believe he's going to get the job done every single night. On the home run today, you fouled off a really good fastball to hit earlier in the at-bat and then got around on another one. Did you make an adjustment there? 
You know, I just tried to see the ball as well as possible. I didn't know, you know, it's, it's one of those days you don't feel too great up there at the plate, but you just got to compete your butt off, and uh, it just so happened that he threw me a pitch I could handle. Your first experience with the home away from home here for the Blue Jays in Seattle. What did you make of the atmosphere and all these Western Canadian fans? Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, uh, it really did feel like a home game. Uh, you know, I think it, I think the, the atmosphere of the game really helped both teams. It raised the intensity a lot, um, and it was just a lot of fun. And, and you know, everybody worked hard and uh, really intense games, but a lot of fun as well. Thanks, Brandon. See you in L.A. All right, thank you. That is Arden Zwelling chatting with Brandon Belt. I hadn't actually realized, but I guess that makes sense because, of course, it was the Jays' first tra- trip to Seattle and, of course, the first year Brandon Belt's with the team, but that he had never experienced this before. Um, it was a very playoff-like atmosphere at T-Mobile Park for the entire series, all of the games, one-run games. So at any one play goes in any different fashion, maybe any all three of these games have different results. But uh, you heard him talking about it, it was a day... You're not too comfortable at the plate. And I think a a large part of that does have to do less so with the Seattle bullpen, although Paul Sewell never makes it easy on anyone. But with Brian Wu, a rookie who throws as hard as anyone, really pumping in some some strong heaters in there. And he made some Blue Jays batters look silly, especially the first time through the order. All of them looking absolutely foolish. Uh, The first base runner of the entire game was the top of the fourth inning. And it was George Springer when he got hit by a pitch. Funnily enough, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he goes Oppo Taco for the fifth time this year, which according to Sportsnet stats matches his total uh, going yard to the opposite field from all of 2022. It's just good, generally speaking, to see Vladdy with better results as of late. And and yeah, I guess he does still have some some silly, sing, silly swing decisions from time to time. But the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the past three weeks, I think, or maybe a little bit longer, has looked much better at the plate compared to most of 2023. And uh, he swings at a Brian Wu slider on the first pitch of the AB. He crushes the sinker for the home run. 97 miles an hour, the sinker was thrown. And then it kind of darts into the lower third of the strike zone. Vladdy goes down a bit to get it. He sends it into the front row of the outfield seats. It was a home run in five ballparks, including Seattle. So good that it was one of those five was T-Mobile ballpark. But the Brian Wu sinker, and, and I think Belt was kind of alluding to this, it tends to generate a lot of ground balls and he had been carving the Jays up until that point in the game. So good for Vladdy to take advantage of a pitch that really wasn't badly thrown by Wu. So I'll give Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for some credit for that. Certainly got to give Brandon Belt some credit as well for coming through late uh, in this ball game as well. Um, the fifth inning, a little bit of a frustrating part of this game, I think for a lot of us, because they load the bases, including Danny Jansen getting hit by a pitch. And we'll talk about him in a sec. But Springer then grounds into a double play to end the inning. That It's a little demoralizing because it happens. It happens, and then it happens again with a 3-0 count in the seventh. And in that seventh inning, perhaps even tougher to stomach because every one of those three balls Taylor Sacedo threw was not even close. Like I've said this before about Springer, but when a guy is struggling to find the zone, let him pitch more. It happened against a couple of days ago against Blake Snell, who walked, I think seven guys at the Rogers center. And I just, I'm a big proponent of just let struggling pitchers figure it out themselves. Don't help the guys. On one hand, I understand giving him the green light because lifetime Springer, 375 lifetime hitter in three, no situations uh, with three, no situations this season specifically had been hitting 500. So I get it. On the other hand, with the bases loaded, he is one for 11 this season, according to Sportsnet stats. So I don't know. There's a bit of a give and take there. But when a guy is struck, like if they were borderline pitches, I could think to myself, okay, maybe maybe he doesn't want to be caught off guard. So he'll swing at one. 
I can kind of sort of understand. But when a guy is not even close to the strike zone, and he was not close on any of those three throws, just take a, take a few pitches here and there, man. I don't, that's all we ask for. It, happened, it actually happened yesterday at a big moment, a weak ground out. And I think ultimately it does lend itself to something we've all been chatting about more here in recent weeks, which is the idea of moving Springer out of the leadoff spot. I, I don't think the answer, because I've said before, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Bo actually lead off. Uh, of course, Merrifield, the other candidate, Bo sneakily going through it, perhaps not so sneakily going through it, right? Oh, four, I think 13 or 14 at this point in the last couple of games, last three or four games. I'm not worried yet because Bo Bichette is so, so good, has continued to be very good for most of the season. So, you know, I, I don't think we're, I don't think anyone's hand is hovering over the panic button when it comes to Bo Bichette because he is an elite, elite player in, in all facets. But maybe if you if you are still looking to rejig the lineup a little bit, Maybe the idea is to have Merrifield bat lead off for now until things turn for Bo back positively. George has obviously lit hit lead off for the majority of his career, but he also doesn't strike me as the kind of person who would be a uh, miffed personally if he was moved out of the leadoff spot. Like if you were to go, let's see, Merrifield second, Bo at short, Springer in right, Vladdy at first, Belt DHing, Chapman at third, Varsho in left, and uh, Jansen catching, Kiermeyer in center. Obviously, you would need some tweaking depending on who is on the mound, you know, obviously maybe in certain situations, we heard from Brandon belt. Maybe you're moving belt up a bit to have a lefty a bit higher on the order, but it certainly uh, wouldn't be a terrible thing to slightly shake up the order. I think um, speaking of Danny Jansen real quick, before we take a break, uh, Jana was taken out of the game in the seventh inning when he was due up next. And Kirk was brought in to again, face Taylor Sacedo and uh, with a runner on second and not first, perhaps we were all holding our breath a little bit less for that double play, especially with Sosedo, someone who induces a ton of ground balls, as we know. Kirk works the four-pitch walk, so good to see him not expanding the zone. The news for Jano, though, he leaves with a left forearm contusion, did undergo x-rays. They were negative for a fracture, but he was thumped on that forearm by a 95-mile-an-hour Brian Wu fastball, so perhaps precautionary. Maybe he said something. Maybe he said he was, wasn't feeling a little uncomfortable. Of course, you know, it's good that the, the x-rays were negative, but it's just, I don't know, it's not something you want to see from Jano, who who has just had truly rotten luck when it comes to injuries, right? Like I know he had the oblique thing, but especially with getting hit by pitches. Last year, he got hit by a pitch on, I think, his pinky finger, and it fractured the finger on his one of his hands. So, hey, you hope he's okay. It's good to know that he, w- he did not suffer any fractures today, but it does make you wonder... With, I guess, Barrios on the mound tomorrow and then Bassett in game two uh, of, of this three-game set against the Dodgers coming up here, you perhaps imagine Kirk gets the next two catching assignments. I mean, you, you would think Kirk is almost definitely catching on, uh, let's see, Tuesday, I guess, for Bassett, but maybe they just be, maybe just out of an abundance of, of caution, they just have Kirk catch tomorrow just until you know he can, maybe until they get back to Toronto um, we'll see how how what the what the plan is for the day game on Wednesday because again, if you want Hyunjin Ryu to pitch before the trade deadline, of course he could pitch after the day off on the twenty seventh. You could have him pitch the Otani on Friday or any one of those games at the Rogers Center when they're back home in uh, against the Los Angeles Angels next weekend. But the news was that Ryu is going to join the team starting tomorrow in Los Angeles. So if that's the case, you would think he's going to pitch at some point. Uh, maybe it's a, maybe it's not a straight start for Ryu, but again, he has been a long-term starter, so I would imagine it is. But uh, again, we'll have to see what the game plan is. Maybe maybe Jano doesn't play as catcher until he returns to Toronto. Um, let's take a very quick break. 
When we come back, we will hear a little bit from John Schneider. He has wrapped up his availability with the media. Of course, they're probably uh, going to be getting on a plane to Los Angeles very, very shortly. Uh, we'll also do the Bet365 standings update. And, of course, go back to the phone line, 416-870-0590, 590 star 590 on your cell. Go back to the text as well on the People's Text Line, 590-590, name and location. More Talk for you after the break. I'm Show Ali on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Yeah, I mean, it takes, uh, you know, a certain kind of mindset to do that against the middle of the order, you know, Julio and Suarez there. Um, not exactly the way we drew it up uh, with the hit by pitch. Um, but, you know, Jordy's been doing that for a while. You know, he seems to really kind of bear down, lock it in. Um, he's one of the best in the league for a reason. That is John Schneider speaking to the media about Jordan Romano, who uh, did uh, have a bit of an adventure, perhaps, in the bottom of the ninth inning, hit a batter, walked a guy. But uh, did get out of it because no runs scored and Eugenio Suarez popping up very deep and very aggressively. But uh, he did pop up nonetheless for the game's final out. The Blue Jays win this one 4-3 to salvage the series with a win in Seattle. Uh, Welcome back to Jays Talk, of course. I'm Show Ali across the Sportsnet radio network, streaming live on Sportsnet.ca and on the Sportsnet app as well. Blue Jays next play tomorrow night. It's going to be a late one. So get your coffee ready. If you are like me on the East coast, it'll be a 10, 10 PM Eastern start 7, 10 uh, PM Pacific across the Sportsnet radio network. Jose Barrios is scheduled to take the mound against Michael Grove, who will go for the Dodgers uh, right now. I believe Julio Urias is scheduled to go on Tuesday uh, and uh, on Wednesday. It looks like Tony Gonsolin is scheduled to go as well. I mean, look, Julio Urias and Tony Gonsolin, are very good pitchers. They have been having subpar seasons by their, I think, lofty standards. So we'll see which version of both Julio Urias and uh, Tony Gonson, the Blue Jays, uh, get to see on uh, certainly on Tuesday and Wednesday. But tomorrow it'll be Barrios against Michael Grove in the pitching matchup. Uh, before we continue on the text line, let's get to the Major League Standings Watch presented by Bet365. With Bet365, you can bet on things like player props, totals, or game outcomes across many different sports. 19-plus play responsibly Ontario only. So I should mention Sunday night baseball is going on right now between the Blue Jays or pardon me, between the uh, Boston Red Sox and the New York Mets at Fenway Park in Boston. Right now, the Red Sox are leading one nothing at the end of two, but all the other games in the division are over. So with that having been said, here's how the standings play out across the American League East. Of course, the Baltimore Orioles and the Tampa Bay Rays wrapping up their series that was for uh, control of the American League East and uh, the Baltimore Orioles pretty convincingly, I would say, resting away, wrestling away control of the division from the Rays. They leave Tampa with a two-game lead on the division. They're now 61-38. and 38. Rays are 61-42 and 42 after a 5-3 loss today to the Orioles. Uh, Blue Jays, 10 games over 500. They are 55 and 45 with the win. Yankees sweep away the Royals. They are 53 and 47. And of course, like I mentioned, Boston is 52 and 47 entering play today, but uh, they are in action right now on Sunday Night Baseball. We'll join that game in progress after Jay's talk is over. We got like 10 minutes left here. So still some time to give me a call. 416-870-0590, 590 star 590 on your cell. Let's go to the text line, 590-590, name and location. Let's see here. I see uh, Ty and Beaumont. Schneider's game management is a little confusing. It's not congruent. Perhaps passive-aggressive? Passively-aggressive, actually. It's kind of an interesting idea. 
again, I, I, it goes back to the idea of the Jays. Sometimes they are super aggressive. Sometimes they are incredibly conservative, more than perhaps they should be, given that there's a lot of really talented guys on this team. But the Varsho situation, for example, does baffle me a little bit at the end of the game. Um, Steven from Mississauga. Oh, this is just about Ben and Blake. Followed the game on the radio on the way back from the cottage. Hope you had a fun time at the cottage, Steven. He says, uh, Shulman and Murphy did a great job calling the game. They did. Good job to Ben and Blake. And uh, Blake is off for the next, uh, the late games. I believe it'll be Chris LaRue who is next to Ben Shulman for the Dodgers series. Uh, Chris also like lives in LA. So I, I got, I got to think that he has like a very unique perspective on the, uh, <laughs> the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, I see another one here, Rob from Stouffville. I think Romano will learn from his performance and be better in the playoffs, even though he was very good. And again, like Romano has a, a very good save percentage situation. I know save percentage is like a, a goalie term, but still he has a, a very good record of converting saves. Let's call it. And uh, you can't really call the, they're not really blown saves when he enters when the game is tied. But like we've talked about before, it's an odd record where he has an abysmal record when the game is tied in non-save situations. And a, a very, very good record when the game is when, when the blue Jays are trying to close out a save itself, which is kind of odd, but I still have a lot of faith in Jordan Romano, even though perhaps overused the slider as he is wont to do sometimes. But when he had the fastball working, he was blowing guys away and he had J rod and Eugenio Suarez swinging at some nasty sliders, like sliders that were almost in the dirt, essentially. So good, good for Jordan Romano that he closed it out again today. Again, his 27th save of the year. Uh, Darcy in Northern Manitoba, just enjoyed the Blue Jays game. Win is a win. Need help in the closing roles, but just a fan, hopefully another trade. Darcy also says, go Argos. So cool, I guess. Darcy's a big Argos fan in, in Northern Manitoba. I, I do think when it comes to the trade deadline, ultimately perhaps a position player and a relief pitcher is still what's at the top. As much as I think starting pitchers are sexy and I would love to see one, the position player, and we've talked about Lane Thomas in the past with Gee. We, we, I've, I've talked about Hunter Renfro. I don't, I don't think like a Juan Soto level trade is coming here by any means because I don't know that anyone can really trade for Juan Soto like the Padres did just a year ago. But I ultimately do believe that that's where the Blue Jays do need more work. Just a, maybe one more bat to allow you to have a little bit more flexibility with the outfield and at second base. Like I really like the idea of targeting an outfielder like a Hunter Renfro, for example, just so you can permanently have with Merrifield at second base going forward. That's not really a knock on Biggio or on Espinal. It's just that you want your best guy at second base in there all the time. And I don't have no issue with Merrifield out there and, and left, but maybe you can get a guy who is more directly suited maybe a little bit younger who can be out there in left field. And when you want to give one of Varsho, Kiermaier, Springer a break, ideally it's, it's Kiermaier or Springer because they're a little bit older. Varsho, of course, a young guy. Don't need, they don't know that he needs to get a break that often, but it would be nice to just to have a more stable situation at second base. Cause obviously Whitten Merrifield is, he's an everyday player, even if he is not everyday second baseman. Um, but, uh, you go with the uh, the relief pitching as well. Chad Green, if you guys haven't seen this, Chad Green was pitching against, uh, or for, pardon me, the single-A Dunedin Blue Jays. And in Dunedin, his, I, I look less at the uh, the results in terms of runs or hits or whatever, but the velocity for Chad Green notched back up to 
almost 95 miles an hour. I think it was topped out at like 94.9 miles an hour, which is great to see for a guy who had major surgery on, on, on a part of his body, essentially. Right. So that, that, that's where that, that is where he is getting a little tongue tied there. That is that where is where he is. Your Chad green can be an important addition, maybe just as important as going out there and acquiring another reliever. Though I do agree that, uh, with the, with the texter, uh, Darcy, that you want as many high leverage arms as humanly possible, right? I see uh, Glenn in Coldbrook, Nova Scotia. Great win. Manoa is good enough with regards to trades. This team is in win now mode to acquire vets with playoff experience, not youth or guys who have not been in the playoffs. And kind of along that same text from Glenn, Mitch in Saskatoon says, hey, show, wondering if you think this start from Manoa is enough for the Jays to transition out of the starters market uh, and focus on a bat for the deadline itself. You know what? I'm going to say no, not entirely five and a third, four walks, you know, three earned runs. And I know two of them was, were, were from a single home run to Mike Ford. And the other one was from an inherited runner. So again, I think there are a lot of positives, certainly a lot of positives from Manoa to build on, but not so much that I think you can just say, you know what? No more starting pitching. This goes back to Justin's call earlier about Justin Steele. I do think Justin Steele, again, is just a titch above what you we could probably realistically get at the trade deadline. But again, I like you look at the Cubs again elsewhere. I mean, a Drew Smiley is perhaps someone who's available. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see the Blue Jays go out and get a Lucas Giolito or a Marcus Stroman. It just does not seem uh, particularly likely. Jimmy from Toronto, is Salvador Perez available? And if he is, do the Blue Jays have enough to trade for him? He'd provide that right-handed bat we need, solidify the catching position given Kirk's struggles at the plate and a potential injury to Danny Jansen. Uh, again, would I love to see Salvador Perez uh, on this Blue Jays team. Sure, he's not that old, despite the fact that he's been around Major League Baseball for what feels like forever. He, admit, admittedly, he's, what, I think 33, uh, compared to Jano's, I think, 28. And Kirk is certainly much younger than that. So I I do wonder what it would take to give up to get Salvador Perez. It, it might legitimately cost giving up Kirk, and I know some people might not have a huge issue with that. But ultimately speaking, in trading Moreno, it does kind of feel like the die has somewhat been cast when it comes to rolling with Jansen and Kirk going forward, because for a very established player like Salvador Perez, even if he is on a bad team, like the Kansas city Royals, it feels as though he probably is, is just going to retire a Royal or at the very least be there until he's like 35 or 36 and then get traded. Uh, I know he was dealing with some hamstring injuries earlier, but he has come back from that pretty successfully. Uh, I see some other uh, texts here. Uh, Chris and T.O. I think it's amazing seeing how many fans head down to Seattle and Minnesota games. I would add Detroit as well, but he says, so, so proud of our countrywide fans. Go Jays. We got this. Uh, MP in Scarborough says, uh, Hey show as, as per Blair and Barker, don't leave the West coast without Teoscar Hernandez. It will uh, charge both Laddie and the offense and inject the missing fund. They can leave Pearson behind in Seattle. It's apparent they have lost faith in him. And Ali uh, uh, from Toronto, I noticed during the broadcast, Pearson sent down to the minors, wonder what they think he needs to work on. I, for me, I think, uh, the Pearson thing, he needs to work on the breaking stuff, I would think, right? Like even yesterday, that kind of John Schneider somewhat alluded to it. So, you know, I, I do wonder if that's what they told him he needs to work on. Uh, we won't be talking about Pearson and his issues in the majors because he was optioned. Yenis Cabrera was the guy joining the active roster in his place. We didn't actually see Cabrera pitch today. I did think there was a good chance we did, but given that the game was so close, makes sense that we did not see a guy who, you know, you don't want the Shintaro Fujinami situation to happen where he comes in for the Orioles first pitch. He throws gets absolutely cranked for a home run. So I don't know. And he has struggled with command so far this year in Yenis Cabrera. So I don't know if you want to necessarily deal with that, but 
the breaking ball was something he dealt with. Pearson, the curve curveball missing a number of times in a row yesterday. And uh, Schneider saying he has some adjustments to make. Um, it does, for me, it does feel like it's a, more of a temporary maneuver, but it does speak to a few things. One, of course, he has some things to work on, even though I do think he's played well, considering the balance of the whole season. As far as I'm concerned, still way more good than bad over the course of his time in the majors. But two, and even though we didn't see this guy today, did yesterday, I, do, I gotta think it speaks to how well Jay Jackson has played because I definitely felt that if some roster maneuvering was going to happen when it comes to playing with options remaining, that Jay Jackson was going to be the first casualty. But hey, Jay Jackson, as we discussed yesterday, seems like he's a guy for this team and keeping him up with the team does seem to show that the front office has a, a decent chunk of faith in him. So he deserves it too. He's pitched very well. So I'm very happy for the guy. Ultimately, when Chad Green returns and when certainly when Hyunjin Ryu return. And, you know, if other guys, you know, I, I don't know about what Adam Simber's status is beyond the 60-day IL this season in terms of what, what the prognosis is for him. But when any of these guys return, I got to think that more option games will be played and Jay Jackson will then be the guy sent down, especially if you're bringing in Chad Green. But very good stuff from Jay Jackson. I got to say, very impressed. But thank you for all the calls. Thank you for all the texts. I would not hate at all seeing the Oscar Hernandez in a Blue Jays uniform once again. Perhaps my favorite potential reunion Brandon Drury, another name as a potential reunion, uh, but I don't know if that's particularly likely uh, in happening. But hey, Teoscar Hernandez did some damage against the Blue Jays in this series, but uh, not necessarily today. Thank you for listening to Blue Jays Baseball, brought to you by Crown Rust Protection. Now that summer has arrived, it's road trip season. Make sure your vehicle is protected from rust with Crown. Visit crown.com for a special summer offer today. Crown, Canada's number one rust protection. For Ben Shulman, Blake Murphy, Tom Young, Nick Blackmore, I'm Show Ali. I'm out of here. I'm going to see Barbie in a few hours. I'll be back for more Jay's talk after dark as the West Coast swing shifts to Los Angeles. I'll talk to you tomorrow.